Welcome to the creek. I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time, if you would fill out one of those guest cards that Adam so beautifully butchered a minute ago. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't know who this kid is. He just showed up this morning. He was asking for a couple bucks. He had a guitar. He's like, look, work for your supper, right? I don't know. Now, Adam is our worship intern. I love him. Uh, we forgive him about Oklahoma, but uh, he is our worship intern, and uh, he helps out in the worship ministry, and I'm glad he's here this week. Um, he might not make it out. You might not make it through spring break because all these kids are not happy to go back tomorrow. Um, so uh, our youth are going to play paintball here in just a few minutes, and the, uh, I'm going to be a target, so I've got my, my team over here that's uh, going to help me out. And uh, so we're going to preach really long today, and uh, man, we might do like five or six altar calls just to save me from having to go endure the pain. Uh, but Trinity, our youth pastor, does a great job with the youth, and I'm excited. They're going to go play and be very violent this afternoon and um, get all that aggression out before they go back to school. Uh, so that's, uh, that's going to be fun. Gerald, I just see a head floating there, so it's kind of cool. Um, we're going to be back in Colossians. Uh, for those of you that are new or, or kind of don't know how we teach, we tend to teach through the Bible, uh, verse by verse. We took a break last week because one of my great friends and mentors and a great leader who was influential in helping me uh, be the leader I am and, and get to the uh, point of starting the church. Ron Schuff was with us last week. If you didn't get to hear that, I highly recommend you go download and listen to that teaching, not for what I have to say, but for what he has to say. Uh, for, he's, a, he's a man of great wisdom, and I'm excited that he was with us. And uh, I told you when we started the book of Colossians that it would the forecast would be about nine to whenever weeks on teaching through this. I think we're at nine weeks now and we're going to finish chapter two. So we're just taking our time going through it. And I will say this, that a lot of uh, what Paul goes into, and I'm trying not to teach the same thing over and over, but a lot of Colossians tends to repeat back to what's going on. And, and the reason is, and I was really wrestling with this this week, the reason is, is we tend to overcomplicate the gospel. We tend to try to make uh, faith and Christianity way too complicated. The, the Colossians is a book. It's a letter written to the church in Colossae. These are people who have a relationship with Christ, who have been transformed by grace. And, and now things are starting to push in on their relationship. And, and it's kind of like I've, I've explained to you some of the things that are pushing in. It's syncretism. It's the idea of, well, that's great that Jesus is your main guy, but you need to add this or or this is really cool, so add this piece of it. Another one that hit was Jewish mysticism or, and Jewish legalism. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we hit the, really the doctrine of legalism, and I'm not going to go back into that again. And today, we're going to kind of look at what the identity of a legalist is. And I'm going I'm to be uh, very upfront. This may sting a little bit today, and I'm not writing, I didn't write this, and I'm not I'm not going at this message to hurt feelings or step on toes, but that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the first toes I got stepped on were mine this week because I was planning this message like, yep, the identity of the legalist, what a legalist is, their attitude, how, kind of the perceptions of a legalist. And I'm like, that's right, because as the pastor of the church, God, I got to be on guard against this because I don't want people getting caught up in legalism and getting beat down and all this. And God smacks me. He goes, I'm talking about you. I was like, oh. What? And God's saying, I want you to watch these attitudes and behaviors so you don't fall into them. I was like, God, I was ready to preach at people. 
And he goes, no, I'm going to teach it you. And so I want us, we're going to have to go into this morning with a a lot of self-awareness and really a lot of humility for us to do some self-examination because we tend to try to get into the rules and rituals with God. And, And I'll say this, rules and rituals don't save you. Religion will not save you. Uh, certain uh, rituals that we think save us will not. Um, baptism. We're going to have a baptism service the weekend after Easter. Uh, I will tell you, the, the water, the baptism, that whole thing doesn't save you. It's Fort Worth water, people. Uh, I mean, and I'm finding out this past week, after all the work I did at my house, it's very, very high in calcium. And that stuff is not easy to get off of your, your windows and stuff like that. I did do windows this week, by the way. Yay, me. Um, and Heather's missing this. She was in the first service. Um, she told me to calm down. Um, so you're in for something because she's not in here to back me up now. But uh, we tend to think that, that religion saves us. I, religion, what I find, is good advice that it will do you well to follow these things. It will do you well to live in these, this way. But the gospel is good news. Christianity is about the gospel. Christianity is good news. And the good news is this, is that we were broken. We were alienated and out of a relationship with Christ. And through the cross, we can be reconciled to God. That's good news. The good news is I realize how broken I am and how perfect God is, and I can be reconciled to a perfect God. The, the problem with rules that we, we start to let rules and regulations guide our life is, is that it's going to set us up for one of two things. If we can follow the rules, if we, if we achieve success in the rules, we're going to be prideful because we realize I did that. When we fail at the rules, it's going to drive us deeper into despair and we're going to think I can't do anything right. I can't accomplish this. I can't manage my behavior out of this. Uh, a lot of people in our, our church community and, and the people around us deal with addictions, and we try to regulate our way out of those addictions. And it leads us deeper into despair because we try to put these rules and filters in our life, and then we find ourselves getting through the filters and breaking the rules, and all of a sudden we find ourselves deeper in despair and going, why can't I fix this? And what's happened is we've missed grace. Let me, let me explain something about grace. It is grace alone that can save you. It's not a ritual. It's not a, word, it's not a phrase you can say. I know a lot of times, even in, in Christianity, we say, repeat this prayer after me and you'll be saved. I don't think it's that way. We can't just say these magic words because then we're getting into mysticism and it becomes a chant. Now, we do confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans is clear about that. We believe in our heart. The only way that grace transforms us is that our heart becomes alive, and that's with God through the power of the Holy Spirit brings life into us, and we confess that with our mouth. If I can emotionally charge you up to repeat a prayer after me, there's no transformation in that. And we leave here just as empty as we were before. And what's happened in the church of Colossae is that they are experiencing the fullness of Christ and there are false teachers that are pushing in going, no, you're not, it's not fullness. You don't have everything. You're missing this piece. You're missing this piece. You need to follow this. You need to understand. You're missing out on this festival. You're supposed to adhere to these sets of rules. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is very strong when he engages and stands up against the religious leaders. He's very sympathetic to sinners. 
Matter of fact, he gets accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, which, by the way, weren't very popular in their society. I mean, to understand the tax collectors, we pretty it up now. And I understand tax season's coming up, and we're not excited about tax collectors. But they would have been almost like the terrorist groups because they were hired by the, the Roman government. And they would have been Jews, so they would go into their own people and they would take the taxes. And they would take more for themselves. And Jesus is hanging out with them. And he has grace, and he's more sympathetic to the sinners than he is those who are the religious jerks. And what God's really challenging me is to put filters up, start to recognize these behaviors so we don't find ourselves in this trap of legalism and being legalist and trying to enforce rules on people. Now, a lot of questions I get about the Old Testament, and I love it because uh, I get questions about wrestling through the Old Testament. And one of the questions I get is somewhere between Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, did God get counseling in there? Because he seems very angry, you know, and, and it's the laws and, and the regulations and the commandments and thou shalt not and thou shalt not and you don't do this and this is the way you will do things. And then there's the, the New Testament where it's all about grace. And, and did God have some kind of epiphany or medication? I don't know. But no, it's the same character of God throughout the scripture. When you think about the Old Testament, it points us to Jesus. The Gospels teach us about Jesus, and then everything after the Gospels in the New Testament points back to Jesus. Think of it this way. The Old Testament shows us how perfect God is because the rules and regulations, we can't keep it. Shows us how perfect God is. Shows us how imperfect we are. We can't even keep the most elementary preschool level of the law. And it absolutely shows our need for a Savior and the need for grace at work in our life. And grace isn't lowering the bar. We've got a family in the church, and, and I, one of our youth is a pole vaulter. Um, if you saw me on a pole vault course, it would end up on YouTube, and uh, it, it would just be not pretty. We'll put it that way. But let's say that we go out and we're going to pole vault. We will have video cameras if that ever happened, by the way. And I take off running down the, the track, and I've got the pole. And I hit that thing. And let's say I hit it just right. When that pole bends just at the point where it's supposed to propel me over the bar, I can tell you what's going to happen. That pole's going to snap. And I'm going to be laying on my back. And I'm going to try to figure out what just happened and what was the license plate of that truck that just hit me. Well, grace isn't you going, oh, Matt, sorry. Let me lower that bar for you. And I get another run at it. Ah, let me lower the bar for you. Grace with our kids isn't lowering the bar and lowering the standards. Grace is the bar's there, but I'm going to help you when you don't make it. That's what we confuse grace with this. That grace means we have to lower the standards and lower it to a level that you can just step over it. And that's not it. See, God is perfect. God is holy, and he does demand holiness. And the only way that we can, we can even experience that holiness is through the cross of Christ. See, the cross of Christ didn't lower the standards of grace, but it fulfilled the standards that we had to meet, and they were met for us. And so let's understand that. As we go into this, I want us to lean more on grace. We need to be more about grace than the law. 
We love the law. I mean, as David said in Psalm 119, I love your law. I love your commands. I mean, I've never laid in my bed at night going, God, I just love you. You're great, and I love your law. It's like honey on my lips. I've never said that, but David did. But we love the law because it points us to Jesus. And what makes it even greater is we've experienced the grace of the cross of Christ. And so let's look at this, uh, the attitude of the legalist. The first one is legalists constantly judge everything. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 is where we're at. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own one, um, happy Sunday. Happy late St. Patrick's Day. Um, Happy just day. You have a Bible now. Um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. But uh, the legalist, the the attitude is the legalist judges everything. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this where people are like, don't do that. Let me tell you why that's evil. Let me tell you why that's wrong. Let me tell you why you shouldn't do that. Where God turned this on me this week, and and God really works on me a lot when I'm driving. Uh, It's just, you know, that's not God and I's quiet time. That's God's time to really show me my deficiencies in grace and really show me how impatient I am. And and this week he showed me how much of a legalist I am because I'm judging everybody on the road because I really believe if everybody drove like me, we wouldn't have the traffic problems we have. I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. If, if, if you would use the left lane for passing and not for driving 10 miles under the speed limit, you know, and if everybody, here's the way it works out for me. Everybody needs to follow the rules, but they need to bend for me. And it really, I'm, I'm telling you, driving around this place is getting more and more frustrating because I'm on the road with 8 million other people and we all know that the left lane ends in half a mile. All right? You know where I'm going with this. If you're on that left lane, I've got to give you grace. (laughs) But God gave me grace. Because what happens is when we get in this legalist mentality, we start judging everything. We're like, well, they just don't know how to drive. I mean, and, and honestly, on the road is a big place where it happens. I was on a rant the other day just about how people don't respect each other. But I don't I don't come in here and preach against that. Because what happens, God's using that to show me hey, grace, you've got to give some grace here. You don't go into judging. And this happens, this has been around for for a while. In verse 16, Paul starts out, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Let me explain. Therefore, anytime you see that in Scripture, go back a couple verses to see what's being said. Uh, Understand this. Therefore, when it's there, it's a word that's going to validate what has just been said. It's not like the word but. But negates everything, right? like, I love you, but you don't love me. Or I, I really respect you, but I'm like, you don't respect me. Just get to the point. But negates it, therefore validates it. Okay, that's the way you can remember that. So Paul, what he's validating is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the doctrine of legalism, where they, the, the, the legalists were saying, you've got to observe this, the circumcision. You've got to have, be baptized to be saved. You've got to do all these things. You've got to follow these, this prescription of regulations to be saved. And Paul's saying, no, it's God. He has done it all inside. It's internal. The circumcision is of the heart. The baptism is the Holy Spirit baptizing us into the church, into the body of Christ. And it's all done by the hands of God, not by the hands of men. And Paul's saying, because of this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Uh, The Sabbath day is 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. 
and it was you had to celebrate the Sabbath. There was a lot of laws and regulations on the Sabbath. You could only walk so far. If, if your animal fell in a pit, you couldn't get it. You had to do certain things on, on the Sabbath day. And they're saying, you, you, you don't let anybody judge you because this has been fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And in this fulfillment, think about it. The Sabbath is a day of rest. And the law was you have to rest. You couldn't walk so much. And it was all about resting and, and recognizing the presence of God. Think about the fulfillment through the cross of Christ and the grace in our life. What did Jesus say? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the fulfillment of this is that every day, every minute, I can experience the fulfillment of the Sabbath through Jesus because I can find my rest in him. Some of the other things, the the, the other festivals, the Passover. Passover was a required celebration. It's to commemorate the night that the angel of death came over the Israelite children in Egypt. And those that had listened to the word of the Lord, they put the blood of a perfect lamb on their doorpost and the angel of death passed over and the firstborn in that household was spared. The blood of a lamb covered them and spared their life. The fulfillment from the Old Testament with Jesus in my life and the grace of this, the fulfillment is the blood of Christ covers my life and that the death passes over me because I am made alive in him. Spirit has given birth to spirit. Are you tracking with the fulfillment of that? That we get caught up in these little things and Jesus is saying the fulfillment, you're missing the whole thing. He goes on in verse 17 and says it's but a shadow. Uh, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What Jesus is saying is you're looking at the shadow and you're missing me. You're looking at the shadow of the things that you're trying to fulfill yourself with and you're missing me. Here's what I've learned about rules and regulations my relationship with Jesus has more impact on my behavior than the rules I try to implement in my life. Because I can't legislate my holiness or my righteousness. The shadow has been fulfilled. I've got a video that's going to, I want to illustrate this shadow being fulfilled. So why don't you play that for us and then we'll, we'll come back and finish this up. <laughs> I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Right, blessed day, the dog say goodnight, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, also on the faces of people. Friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? 
that because shadow puppets are just cool, right? But we tend to look at the shadow and miss everything behind the shadow. The, the important thing to know about a shadow is it's fulfilled by something casting that shadow. And so let's not miss Jesus uh, in that. Um, legalism is going to emphasize and overemphasize spiritual experiences. Let me read this. Um, verse 18, do not let anyone delight who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify for you the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews. God grows and causes it to grow. Um, What happens is, and I'm not negating experiences. I'm all about spiritual experiences. The challenge is when we tend to go back and try to recreate those. Uh, think about those of you who are married. Think about your, your honeymoon and the height of emotional just chaos that probably was and how great it was. But you don't spend the rest of your married life trying to recreate that. If, if your honeymoon was the greatest day of your marriage, I'm sorry for you. If the first day you became a Christian the day you got saved is the best day of your Christian life, I'm sorry for you because it should get better. And, and it should progress. It should be something that builds and continues to grow. The problem that we have is we experience something emotional and we keep going back to try to recreate that. The, the problem is that that's not going to sustain us and it's eventually going to let us down. You know, girls, you dream. I have daughters, I know. You dream of, you know, your knight in shining armor uh, coming and, and just sweeping you off your feet and being the perfect guy. Well, here's the problem. After a couple years of marriage, he doesn't fit in that armor anymore. I mean, it's tarnished. He's got this gut that, you know, if he can get, he's going to need some Crisco and Pam to get into that thing, okay? Life happens. (laughs) Emotions settle, honestly. And we tend to chase those emotional highs. You know, I've explained to you that our emotions are the most shallow part of our being. And God says, I'm not going to do my deepest work in your most shallow part. And so we try to chase God emotionally. We want him to make us feel good. He becomes our masseuse, you know. We show up on Sunday and we're like, okay, God, I'm here. Make me feel good. Give me goosebumps. I don't, I want to feel you, God. I want to experience something. The problem is that's not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to sustain us. And what Paul's saying is that if, if, if you're into these religious practices and chasing these, you may have no relationship at all. As a matter of fact, most of the time you've cut yourself off from the head 
And you can't have a relationship. When they talk about worship of angels, the Gnostic cult in Colossae believed that, that there were lines of angels between man and God or matter and God because matter was evil according to their, their beliefs. And so you would worship angels to success along the line to become more godlike. And he's saying that's empty. It, there's nothing to it. In, in church, what happens is when we chase emotional experiences with God, we start chasing an empty process. And we don't always feel the goosebumps. You know, it, it, it starts out with reading your Bible, and you might be like, oh, God, just man, yeah, he just spoke to me. And I've had a, a, emotional experiences. God has dealt with me. He's worked in me. I have felt the voice of God speak into my life, not audibly, but he's spoken into my life. I mean, it was very clear when God told us to start this church. But I, he didn't say, hey, Matt, this is what you're going to do. I wish he would have. I wish he'd tell me what this week looks like. We're trying to plan as a leadership team what the next three to five years look like for our church. Then I wish he would say, okay, Matt, here's what you need to do. But he's not. I have to lock in there with him. Some days I get up, I open my Bible, and I just read. And emotionally, nothing happens. But I know the depth of my spirit is growing. And I don't have angels singing around me. I don't have the goosebumps going off and, and go, oh, man, that's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. No, I, I do it because I love God. And I don't do it for what he can do for me. I do it because I love him. Because I realize the good news is how broken I am and how perfect he is. And that he accepts me. That even before time, he says, hey, Matt, you're a screw up, but I'm going to die for you anyway. And I love you. And I want to be in a relationship with you. I love you so much I want to call you my son. And that makes me love him. You see, we need to follow Jesus and not the experiences. Too many people try to follow the miracles, and that doesn't get us anywhere. The miracles follow the man. The miracles follow Jesus. Let's not chase the miracles, but chase Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes that just means we walk it out with consistency. And we just live our life in a consistent manner and lock in with God every day. And we get up, and even if we don't feel it, if you're married, if you've been married for any amount of time, you might have gotten out of bed this morning and wasn't feeling it, especially when you rolled over and realized you might have overslept, or she yawns and you smell that morning breath. You're like, I'm not feeling it so much right now. I might feel it after crest gets involved, but you know what I'm talking about. And so let's not measure our spiritual growth by the experiences we have, but by the depth of character and how much we reflect God's character in our life. I think that's going to save us from a lot of disappointment. I think the measurement that we need to look at is, is this, uh, how much do I love and know Jesus and reflect his character? Because this last point is kind of a diagnostic tool. Not everything that looks spiritual really is. I'll finish it out here. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules? What Paul's saying is, I don't get it. I, I, I'm, this is baffling to me. I'm confused by this. You were saved by grace and grace alone. And now you're bringing the rules in? Why? You died to that. That's been fulfilled. And he says, uh, I don't get it. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. 
I'm not saying that there should, be do's and, there should be no do's and don'ts in our life. If you're a parent, you understand that. There needs to be guidelines and rules. And in do's and don'ts in our life, we're adults. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I don't need do's and don'ts. I think we do. But they should point us to Christ, and they should grow us in maturity so that we don't start leaning on what we can and can't do, but we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and that starts to compel how we live our life. We start, to, we start to make decisions based on our maturity in Christ, not based on, yes, do this, no, don't do that. Are you, you tracking with that? We start to move past the rules and let grace move us to what is best. Um, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul's saying here is all the rules and regulations, the spiritual experiences, they don't work. They will leave you empty. You will find yourself in a broken system, and you will find yourself trying to chase something impossible. You'll be like Solomon and chase the wind. Well, I tried to set these rules in my life so that I could achieve this, and it didn't work, and it was chasing the wind. I'll be honest with you guys. I've got a gym membership, and it doesn't do jack for me. I've got to, I've got to be disciplined to go. Tomorrow morning, I've got to get out of bed, and I've got to take myself up to the gym, and I've got to get on that treadmill, and I've got to get on the machines. I'm a comfort eater. When I get stressed, I eat. And I can't, there, you can't put pictures on the refrigerator to deter me, baby. I'm sorry. That ain't going to happen. I could open that refrigerator door and hear, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cook up some bacon. So the rules and regulations don't work. They're empty. They lack any restraint in my life. I don't know if, if, if you're like me. So we start to get to the base of this question, go, what does work? What will work? Because I know that there are people in our church community and in our community dealing with addictions that are struggling and are hurting and are, and are in brokenness. And they've tried to regulate their way out of it, and it doesn't work. So what does work? Let's not get too complicated here. It's the gospel. The gospel works because we realize our brokenness and his perfection came together at the cross of Christ, and that's the good news. How does the gospel work, Matt? Let's say one of the things, let's say your idol is success, that you put every ounce of your energy into success and climbing that ladder, and everything in your life hinges on the success you achieve at work. When you achieve that, you're going to realize it's empty because it's not what you expected it to be. When you fail at that, you're going to be in despair because you feel like you failed. You spent all your life working for that. Here's where the gospel transforms us. is we realize our significance and our success in Christ. And that if we achieve the level of success at work, that's great. How do we glorify God more? If we fail in success at work, oh well. How do I glorify God more? Because I'm not working for something. I'm working out of something. I'm working out of the significance I have found in the cross. That God saw me as broken and sinful and said, I still love you. And I'm still going to give my life for you. And I'm still going to put everything on the line so that I can reconcile you and I can save you. And we find our significance in that. That doesn't mean the temptation is going to go away. Here's what it does mean is that your love for Jesus 
begins to compel you over that temptation. That for that momentary satisfaction that that sin gives, and we all have our pet sin, and we all find our satisfactions in different pet sins. Let's just be honest. But what happens is it starts to compel us because we realize our, our, our fullness in Christ and we start to see ourselves as being able to overcome this, not by rules, not by saying, you know what, I can't do this and this is the boundaries I've got to put here, but it's the grace of Christ that moves us beyond that temptation and begins to fulfill us. And we begin to look at life as the fullness of Christ because Paul told us that in him, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. And then Paul says, and in that fullness, it has been given to us. So when we are saved by grace, that fullness in Christ begins to move us past trying to get over our failures. And we find ourselves actually moving past the things we struggle with, not managing behavior. Here's where the danger of legalism at church happens, is we play the pretend game. Let's pretend we're not pretending. Let's walk in and everything's fine. You'll stop the argument when you pull in the parking lot because you don't want people to see it. And you get out and you put the smile on, you walk in, hey, praise God, everything's fine. (laughs) And then you go get back in the car, you're like, where were we? All right, here's what, you have got to change that. And you're right back at it. Well, the problem is we, we do experience that in church. And the scary part is the place where we should experience the most grace and get the most help doesn't happen. What grace allows us in a, in, a, in a church, in a body, in a family, it allows us the opportunity to get help. It says, I'm struggling with this. And instead of getting judged, we go, you know what? I'm wrestling with some things too. And I'm with you. I'm with you on this. And then you take that out. I, I know when I talk about legalism, some of you start thinking, well, I know who needs to hear this message. And they got some junk in their life. The fill-in that you've got there on your sheet, I don't have an answer for you. That's your name. That's a name you put in there. But does blank know more about what you think of their sin or more about what you think of Jesus? Because you're not going to beat the sin out of them. You're not going to do not the sin out of them. Don't talk like that. Don't act like that. Don't look at that. Don't go there. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. You shouldn't do that. If you're like me, don't step on the grass. What are you going to do? That's just the way I am. I think we're, we're wired that way. But grace helps us to say, you know what? I'm wrestling with this. Yeah, I'm struggling with this. But let me talk to you about Jesus. Not in a weird way. Not in an overbearing religious way. But let me tell you, man. God's working on me on this. And I'm trying to overcome this. And I'm letting his grace move me forward. It's all about grace. I pray that we don't miss that. And that's the only thing that's going to work because the gospel doesn't just save us. It sustains us and carries us safely home. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we, uh, we come to you and some of us are broken. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are coming off of, man, just great winds. But God, we're going to be honest with you. This is a place where we can be most honest with you because uh, you see the heart anyway. And so we just ask that you forgive us of um, trying to regulate ourselves. Forgive us for trying to even regulate grace, for us deciding, deciding on 
who we feel is worthy of grace and who we feel is worthy of our time. God, forgive us from that. God, some of us are broken and hurting. Let your grace wash over that. Father, some of the marriages in our church community are strained and hurting and and honestly barely hanging on because we're trying to chase the emotions of days past. Forgive us. Let your grace wash that. Let your grace begin to move in us at a spiritually deep level. Let us exercise grace in our marriages with our, our spouse. God, some of us need your grace to wash over our relationship with our kids. Some of us need your grace to wash over our relationship with our parents. We ask for you to bring that forgiveness. God, some of us in this room need to step into your grace for the first time in our life. We've tried to follow the rituals and we've tried to do the right thing in hopes that you would love us and we missed the whole point and that's grace. We missed the truth that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. No height, no depth. When we go to the valley, you're there. When we go to the depths of the sea, you're there. When we go to the highest mountain, you're there. And you're with us in every point in between. And God, maybe for, for those that have put their hope of salvation in the rituals, I just ask that maybe your grace is reaching out to them and it's not, it's not a chant, but it's just honestly saying, I need your grace. I'm exhausted from doing this on my own. I'm exhausted from carrying the guilt. I'm exhausted from living in an impossible system and I need your grace, God. And we just humble ourselves this morning before the cross because that is the point where the grace was given to us. And that it was all paid for and everything was fulfilled. So, Father, help us live fulfilled in your grace. We love you so much. We ask for healing in our marriages, in our relationships, in our work relationships, in our families. And we ask that we continue to let your grace wash us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.